0: Welcome to MitCast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. This is episode 396.5, recorded on Sunday, the 18th of September, 2022. Hey, everybody, it's Bill.
1: Still not dead yet. I'm Joe. The process in my brain to come up with something more clever has timed out, so I'm Norbert. I'm Moss, as usual. Moving on to our Linux innards.
0: Now, this is basically um, what we're going to be talking about here is we're going to deep dive, I guess, a little bit into uh, some news that's been going on. Um, Article published by by Bleeping Computer series titled This Week in Ransomware. Each week as a news summary on the topic. In early September, they covered multiple multiple times schools being increasingly targeted by ransomware, and we decided to cover it in the innards uh
2: so. yeah we had a whole nother topic picked out and, and and ready to go that I'll have to wait another two weeks. Which but is... um <clears throat> it's not a big deal. At least we'll have most of the, the show notes for it, at least the ideas for it. Yeah. But yeah, this the, ha, is a huge article and so we figured instead of doing it, you know, in the security section, we'd do it in the innards section. Yeah, it's it's multiple uh, closely related articles from the same source. I'll
0: go ahead and read the first one, and if somebody wants to take the second one, I go ahead. Okay, uh, I first sure thought I had a name there. Oh, did you? Well, you know, Moss. I turn <laughs> off the editing view. Uh, there it is. <laughs> I turn that off when I'm reading it for obvious reasons. Moss-related purposes. Moss-related purposes.
1: So I didn't okay. even know you could turn it on. Oh uh, yeah.
0: I am doing it
3: for your own good.
0: Yeah. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. says the guy with the needle. Um okay, so uh, first up, second largest US school district, LAUSD, I assume that stands for Los Angeles something school Is there? district. Um Los Angeles Unified ah, Unified. Los Angeles Unified, the second largest school district in the US, disclosed that a ransomware attack hit its information technology systems over the weekend. LA, LAUSD enrolls more than 640,000 students spanning from kindergarten through 12th grade. It includes Los Angeles and 31 smaller municipalities, as well as several Los Angeles County unincorporated sections. The school district first revealed district-wide technical issues after discovering that the attackers disrupted access to LAUSD systems, including email servers. Roughly seven hours later, it confirmed that this was a ransomware attack, tagged the incident as criminal in nature. LAUSD reported the incident and is working with law enforcement and federal agencies, the FBI and CISA, as part of an ongoing investigation and incident response. After the district contacted officials over the holiday weekend, the White House brought together Department of Education, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and the Department of Homeland Security's cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency to provide rapid incident response support to Los Angeles Unified, building on the immediate support of local law enforcement agencies, the district said. At the district's request, agencies marshaled significant resources to Assess, protect, and advise Los Angeles Unified Response as well as future planned mitigation protocols. And I just realized that I read Moss's section there. My apologies to him, but even after he told you it was his section, yeah, gee whiz, you we're
2: just like, I ain't listening.
0: Can I embarrass myself one more time? Gee, Bill,
2: how come, come your running? mom lets
1: you have two articles? <laughs>
0: Oh, no. I mean, yeah, yeah, it is what it is, but, uh,
2: harsh bill harsh.
0: I hope he tries real hard to not take it personal. Oh, I turned editing mode back on and I see he erased it. Yep. So, um, it's good that these things get, it's good that it gets hit or it gets caught, you know, and that schools take it, take it seriously.
1: Well, they will start taking it seriously after something like this happens. It's right. generally true with, with security and privacy and uh, everything that happens ever is that uh, sometimes uh, things will, all, will only get uh, fixed if something really breaks or if something really bad happens.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, I whenever I start talking to tech to all the people in my world you know, they all give me that well, they, in their minds they're hearing wah wah, 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 wah you know, and then it turns out these things really
1: are important that regular people are relying on all of these technical infrastructures well, at least now you know what it feels like when I started talking about Japanese <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: again, I'm going to figure out one more way to embarrass myself before we're done, don't worry my son speaks Japanese, by the way, for no good reason
2: whatsoever. Oh, there's uh, always a good reason to speak foreign languages.
0: Well, he's he's a quarter um, Mexican, and he doesn't speak Spanish. And his mother speaks Spanish, and her mother speaks Spanish. There's people all around him speaking Spanish, and as a uh, as a matter Spanish. of contention, he. Uh, does not speak Spanish, because that's what people... So he must have worked out that Japanese was the existential opposite of Spanish and went
1: out and learned that. Well, I I got interested in Japanese, uh, partly because I'm interested in tea culture, but also it's so far away geographically, so it's so different from anything that we have in the West. And it seemed easier to learn than Chinese. I mean yeah. Korean might Korean might be easier to learn than Japanese but I'm more interested in Japanese culture so I just stuck stick with Japanese.
0: I think in my son's case it had more to do with uh anime. Moss I didn't I want to say that for... but
1: uh, that was the first uh, thing that started for me as well. Yeah. Because yeah. Moss I
0: apologize for reading your article because I just now realized after I turned I turned it on made a big deal out of that and then I didn't even read who's <laughs> name was next to the article so i apologize so let me know if anybody has any idea how to make a fool of myself anymore we'll work on it all right appreciate it norbert i think you got the uh
1: well Moss, do you want to take the second one the
3: vice society one yeah yep yeah okay the FBI, CISA, and MSISAC warned today of U.S. school districts being increasingly targeted by the Vice Society ransom group, ransomware group, with more attacks expected after the start of the new school year. They also, quote, anticipate attacks may increase as the 2022 2023 school year begins and criminal ransomware groups perceive opportunities for successful attacks, end quote. Attacks on the education sector, mainly targeting kindergarten through K-12 institutions, have a massive impact on their operations, ranging from restricted access to networks and data, delayed exams, and canceled school days to the theft of personal information belonging to students and school staff. The vis- Victims have been asked to share attack details with the FBI, Network defenders are advised to take measures to defend against and limit the impact of ransomware attacks, including prioritizing and remediating known exploited vulnerabilities, training their users to recognize and report phishing attempts commonly used as initial attack vectors, and enabling and enforcing multi factor authentication. The FBI also asked victims to share logs and other information linked to the attacks. The FBI is seeking any information that can be shared to include boundary logs showing communication to and from foreign IP addresses, a sample ransom note, communications with vice society actors, Bitcoin wallet information, decryptor files, and or a benign sample
2: of an encrypted file, the federal law enforcement agency said. Now, that whole, like, things that they said that they should do, that sounds like, you know... Something that every school should have had in place already. I mean, the two-factor authentic. This is just common sense crap. Well, Seriously. Los Angeles school district,
3: I can definitely see, but like Granger well, County no, schools, they probably would have never thought of anything like that. Yeah,
2: the, the school districts here in the DFW area have have the exact same problem where they don't have two FA, they don't have proper encryption, they don't have somebody right. checking to make sure that their personal data is not accessible from a public viewpoint. I mean, it's really bad. The school got hacked yep. last year, I think, and a whole bunch of personal information that the school hasn't disclosed was just released into the wild.
3: Yeah, like so, I said... No, when so. when COVID hit this school district, the first thing they shut down was their computer science classes.
0: And again, is it is it because these institutions are not putting the appropriate amount of resources towards information technology are they probably hiring the least amount of people as possible
2: yeah well no it, it's not just the least amount of people possible I mean e- e- even a large school district could get away with a minimal um, team, IT team and the whole thing is is that the, they actually if they're going to go with two or three guys for their IT team to get everything set up properly they're going to have to be knowledgeable guys. Yeah, no, oh, there's more years. here.
1: Shall we keep going? Sorry, that just I'm thinking about the scale of this. My the school, where, uh, my high school where I went to, I there weren't 600 students there. This school district, uh, we don't have school districts here, but the number 600,000 that's basically the equivalent of a thousand of, of the schools that I went to. So that would, uh, I I assume the IT IT staff has, it has to be people who sometimes go to actually go to the schools to solve stuff. So that has to be, well, if let's say a thousand people,
2: a a database, a secure database is scalable. So a secure database that works for 600 people, as long as you have enough hardware resources dedicated to it should work for a much larger school, as long as it's actually secure. Right Yes, but yeah. you also
1: have to make sure that the infrastructure at the school is also secure and yes. i
0: I couldn't even tell you if there is an actual bespoke uh, IT department in Fort Wayne community schools, and the reason I say that is because I've got kids in three different schools that are using three different types of technology, which is telling me that each school is just you that it's a hodgepodge of of Yeah, it's
2: actually, it's actually really bad, like, well, everywhere I assume, but like with, um, the school district here within one school district, because they have multiple grade schools, multiple middle schools, one high school, but because there are multiple schools within the one school district, each one is using different applications, different front ends, different back ends, different setups. It should be unified. It but should it's not. be standardized within we it. Well, that, like that, that's
3: not it's... the case here in Granger County. We do have a unified system, but I still don't think we have good security.
0: Yeah. I mean, it has to be, it has to be done right from the ground up. It really does. Like, I mean, like m- my daughter's got an iPad, my, my middle school son's got a Chromebook, and my high school son has a ThinkPad. I mean, so they're they're not even unified on the mm-hmm. operating system they're using. Well, we're all on Chromebooks. Almost all of them are Dells, and if the students shelled out for a for a bigger one, they got an HP. They part of the reason I think my high school son does not have I don't know. Can you get Microsoft Office on a Chromebook? The proper
2: mm-hmm. installation? No, all you can use is like the 360 online.
0: Yeah, and he's he's in the, uh, what they call, what they misnomer, uh, introduction to microcomputers, which sounds like, it sounds like a, a class that should be on basic computer skills, but in fact, it's Microsoft Office, and he's in that, so he's got to have a machine that's got Office installed natively on it, so I can understand that, but the it's it's three very yeah. different Chrome,
1: chromebooks are great if you just need something that gets out your t- out of your way in order to be able Broward, to do yeah. any, any yeah, browse do research any sort of homework or or school stuff but once there's once you have a, a class specifically on computers that's the problem if you you either give the kids two computers one with Chrome and another one with Windows because I don't think uh, you can do much in terms of uh, getting into how the system works on Chrome OS. Or you can just have them use computers in a computer lab that has Windows or Linux on it. Okay, still
3: got half the article to go here. Should I continue? Go right ahead. Yes, please. Vice Society is a threat group known for deploying multiple ransomware strains on their victims' networks, such as Hello Kitty slash Five Hands and Zeppelin ransomware. They also steal sensitive data from compromised systems before encryption and later use it for double extortion, threatening their victims to leak the stolen data if the ransom demand isn't paid. One of the group's recent victims is the Austrian Medical University of Innsbruck, which was forced to reset all 3,400 students and 2,200 employees' account passwords after severe IT service disruption and data stolen in the attack being leaked on the gang's data leak site. MCSoft threat analyst Brett Callow said that ransomware attacks had disrupted education at roughly 1,000 universities, colleges, and schools during 2021. And Norbert has a quickie story here. The Vice Society claims the LAUSD ransomware attack we just were talking about, so I'll let him handle that.
1: Yeah, what's interesting is the, the these two articles, the one about the the LAUSD LA being hit by Red Ransomware and the FBI warning of the Vice Society Ransomware Attack Group were published uh, less than a day apart on, on Bill Baping Computer. And then uh, several days later, there was another article about uh, Vice Society claiming the LAUSD ransomware attack. And uh, they say that we have 500 gigabytes of data from the network, which uh, I can't imagine what kind of data, that, because if it, just, if it was just uh, like spreadsheets and uh, plain text, that's, that's either a lot of data or it's uh, a lot of media files as well. Or maybe it's because it's 600,000 uh, students, maybe it could be just uh, plain text or spreadsheets. And yeah, so basically just that's just uh, what I wanted to highlight from the... Uh, I'm not sure what the actual uh, order of events were. So I assume uh, the warning from the FBI came before they claimed uh, uh, responsibility for the attack.
3: Okay, I just looked this up. LAUSD has 782 schools and 460,633 students with a minority enrollment of 90%.
0: So uh, this is not only article
3: affecting article. a lot of people, it's affecting a lot of minority students who probably need, uh well, I won't say it that way. It sounds a little racist. Uh, but, you know, they, they, they have enough things in their way already. They don't need this.
1: The bleeping copy article says, LAUSD says it enrolls more than 640,000 students. But either way, it's, it's a lot of I students.
3: just looked it up on U.S. News and World Report. They could have gotten it a different... Uh, year. Yeah. I'm not sure what the date on this is.
1: Yeah, we also I also chose another article which is not directly related to this, but it was uh, it's just generally related to ransomware. Uh, ransomware gangs switching to new intermittent encryption tactic. A growing. This is also from The weeping Computer. A growing number of ransomware groups are adopting a new tactic that helps them encrypt their victims' systems faster by reducing the chances of being detected and stopped. This tactic is called intermittent encryption, and it consists of encrypting only parts of the targeted files, this, that of the targeted files' content, which would still render data unrecoverable without using a valid uh, decryptor key. For example, by skipping every other 16 bytes of a file, the encryption process takes almost half the time required for full encryption, but still locks the contents for good. Additionally, because the encryption is milder, automated detection tools that rely on detecting signs of trouble in the form of intense file IO operations are more likely to fail. Sentinel Labs has posted a report examining a trend uh, started by log file in mid 2021 and now adopted by the likes of BlackBasta, Alpha, Alphv, Black Cat, Play Agenda, and Quick. I'm not sure how half of those are supposed to be pronounced. These groups actively promote the presence of intermittent encryption features in their ransomware family to entice affiliates to join the RAAS operation. Quote, notably, quick features intermittent encryption, which is what the cool kids are using as you read this. Combined with the fact that it is written in Go, the speed is unmatched, Describe, end quote, describes a quick advertisement on hacking forums. Is it just me or have news about ransomware attacks uh, increased in the past two years, two or three years? Well, yeah, it's increased every year.
0: Yeah, I think for obvious reasons, you've got so many more people working remotely recently for reasons, schools. I mean, we're yeah, schools so, are back in session now, but they were, you know, remote. So
1: overall more, over more data has to leave the internet of a company to get to the employees who are at home, yeah. which, yeah. Uh, I recently came across an interesting uh, argument. Uh, I think it was on the, the podcast uh, that has a brilliant name. Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. It's a security-related uh, podcast. And I think it was there and someone said that some people say that the the rise of cryptocurrencies makes it easier for, for ransomware groups to uh, stay anonymous while they're getting paid. So maybe the maybe the, the the fact that uh, cryptocurrencies are easier to access and use makes it easier for these uh, groups to, to, well, to do yeah, this attack.
3: Yeah, it's easier for criminals to use because uh, I just found a Fortune magazine article online says the world saw an alarming 105% surge in ransomware cyber attacks in 2021. So it wasn't just me. It was, in fact, yeah. Uh, increasing. Yeah. Uh, 105% 2021 over
2: 2020. The joys of, you know, having a decentralized currency is that, you know, people can't track what you're doing, but the problem with that is, is that you can't track, people what, can't track what you're doing. doing yeah. <laughs> exactly.
1: Basically, basically, cryptocurrencies can be as anonymous as cash, but by, with cash, you have to be in, present in person to, to transfer money. You can just, they can just do it online this way. Hmm. Well, I think there was, but I think there was a counter argument uh, for this uh, uh, theory on the podcast, but I don't remember what it was. Oh yeah, it, it was uh, in part that, uh, yeah, like that uh, ransomware attacks existed way before uh, cryptocurrencies existed. It might, it might. So I think it, it might make uh, them easier to carry out, but I'm not sure how much, how much of this uh, spike in attacks uh has to do with uh more people being at home office or as a criminals
2: will find a way i mean yes if cryptocurrency does make it that little bit easier for them but if there wasn't cryptocurrency they would find some other way of getting the money to themselves even if it was using a uh laundering service similar to what cryptocurrency has where you Throw it into there and they do a whole bunch of random exchanges and then you get a percentage of it back. Something like that with regular currency could also be created and still anonymize you. So, yeah, don't blame cryptocurrency for making it easy.
0: All right. Well, if we got nothing else, I guess we can move on to vibrations from the ether.
2: And there's a lot of vibrations from the yeah, because really. there's several weeks worth here because I wasn't on last show. Yeah.
0: this
3: first. Bill, one. you should
2: probably take this first yeah, one. Yeah, I'll,
0: I'll take this first one since it was a, a bit of Direct a Direct dig at you? Yeah. He's I read wrong. this and then I will offer my input. Um, this is from Bill Dietrich. Uh, apparently, what do we have? Did he write three separate uh, interactions or did he just? No, he just numbered it. Uh, oh, oh, how nice. Um, in my opinion, you kind of missed the distinction between pen testing and ethical hacking. Pen testing is an organized, contracted, usually team activity, and often is designed to cover all facets. Of the target, networking, apps, clients, servers, employees, phys- physical ac- access, etc. Ethical hacking is more of an ad hoc, solo, focused, creative, creative activity done at the whim of some individual. There is crossover between the two, and bug bounty is somewhere in the middle too. Restaurant announcing again towards me. Restaurant announcing. Wi-Fi network name on a sign and using a simple name is not a security issue. Anyone can easily pick up the SSID from the air, no matter how complicated you make it. And any SSID can be drowned out or typo squatted by an attacker. And an SSID of uh, unintelligible group of letters is not safer than one of McDonald's. And if someone forces you onto the wrong network, HTTPS and certificate chain of trust should save you from MITM, man in the middle attack. As long as your software is up to date, you're using HTTPS and you don't override security warnings. Reason number three re- reason the waitress types Wi-Fi password into your device is to try to prevent it from being copied and put into other devices and may be used for non-customers some devices older android perhaps don't let you see saved wi-fi passwords thanks bill dietrich um thanks bill uh yes i appreciate um correcting me somewhat in the uh distinction between the two i'm not sure that i was trying to say and if i if i did if that's the if that's how it came across, I, I wasn't really, first off, I don't know as much as I sound like I know <laughs> for starters. Um, and I, but I don't think I was trying to put both of those things into the exact same category um, because yeah, I, I can see how, um, how the distinction is, is important. And uh, if, for example, if somebody was looking for a job in pen testing, the job probably wouldn't be listed as uh, now hiring ethical hacker so yeah that I I can see how that's important so yeah thanks for that clarification there now as for the restaurant I wasn't try what I, I didn't mean that one SSID is more is safer than the other. what I meant was if somebody has an SSID that is kind of off Topic, if you will, or it doesn't seem like it has anything to do with the restaurant, somebody could set up a, a, an SSID on a device, use it as a hotspot, and now all of that traffic is going through. Now, yeah, as to your other comment,
2: if right, so what you're saying there is if McDonald's had a Wi Fi that was completely unintelligible, yeah. RX, CB, whatever, 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 whatever. And then someone came in, hooked up to that Wi Fi, and created a spot hotspot that was McDonald's free Wi Fi. Then everybody's going to connect to the McDonald's free Wi Fi.
0: And again, correct. If all of the HTTPS stuff is in place and you're using an up to date browser and you've and you are not bypassing any protocols whatsoever, yes, the encryption between the client and the server should be enough in most places to keep somebody secure. Is that enough perceived security to rely
1: on? That's my point. Uh, There are some websites that do have HTTPS but don't have automatic redirecting. So during uh, HTTPS, always mode in the browser is also uh, recommended. Yeah, and
2: anybody
0: that's gonna set up an attack like that is gonna know what they're doing too.
2: Look, I I don't care that, you know, HTTPS has taken over the world. If you are on a public Wi Fi, I hope you are using a VPN. Oh, yeah.
0: That's absolutely. You should. My point is always you should assume nothing is set up to work in your favor. You should always take the necessary steps to make sure that you, you know, your traffic is encrypted, that you're not doing. you're not doing anything that could potentially get you into a lot of trouble. I, my point is that as a business offering Wi-Fi to your customers, um, you should not just wholesale pass that responsibility on to the, onto the customers. Now, as we just stated, it is a person getting on the Internet, in my opinion, when you're on the Internet, your security is in your hands the problem with that is that is not a reasonable um, assumption to make about normal people you can't even assume normal people have an updated browser on their phone Um, some people might have like for example my one nephew carries around an android phone that's running android 4 it doesn't even have a it doesn't even have a uh, plan associated with it. It can only be used when it's connected to Wi-Fi, and he uses that to download and play games on because it's a per- perfectly usable Android device. Still, there are stuff like that out there. Uh, people are using devices that are not up to date. They're using software that's not up to date. They're using they're using tool chains that's not up to date, and it makes them vulnerable. So, just assuming people should have the updated software, the updated devices before they connect to your Wi-Fi, in my opinion, is, is uh, just not the right way to go. That, that's the only point I was trying to make with, with the uh, Wi-Fi SSID thing, because there is people out there with vulnerable devices, with vulnerable software. And is it your responsibility to look out for their safety? No. But, you know, making, making sure that your Wi-Fi is something that is obvious is, is a sort of an easy win, as a
1: as a restaurant i mean does that make sense to anybody else you know um, i think i think if the the wi-fi f ssid is the least confusing that it can be then there is the least amount of problem yeah because uh, some restaurants just live on the default uh id of the of the router just tp link or, or wrt or i think I said it right and there's some random string of letters and numbers. And that is not very clear. But if it's a restaurant's name, that that even if someone, uh, I mean, my problem with the SSIDs is, is that you can have multiple hotspots with the same SSID. And uh, your device recognizes the hotspots, the access point based on the SSID mostly. So if there are multiple ones with the same SSID, doesn't that confuse your phone? I've never actually tried it, but what if uh, what if the restaurant has uh, a Wi-Fi with an SSID and someone sets up one with the same SSID? Could uh, the phone connect to if if a phone has connected to the real one before? Could it connect to the fake one by mistake
2: the second time if there is one? It could, but uh, a lot of your um, modern, at least Android phones. Will let you know that um, it's not the same one, that the, um, ad- the address of the There's device is WPK ad- has stuff changed. going on yeah. between them. Yeah, because uh, it also has a MAC address, the access point. Yes. Yeah. The MAC address. Yeah.
1: And before the, the outdated uh, Android uh, part. I think operating systems should just give you a notification of, about it them being up, out of date if they don't receive updates for some amount of time. I mean, if you have a phone that gets updates, at one point it just stopped getting updates from the vendor. Maybe if like a year passes, it could just give you a persistent notification saying that there has been more than a year since the last, since the latest security update, your operating system is potentially unsafe to connect to the internet. Well, yeah, at that least, would be nice. Yeah, at but. least, at least if if there just if there was a personal notification, you could still use it, but it should just constantly remind you that it's not safe to use. As much as people like to hate on Microsoft for forcing uh, automatic updates, automatic se- security updates are 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 useful
0: long as they don't and, reboot your machine right in the middle of the podcast or something.
1: Well, if you install, if you make sure to have uh, security updates or any sort of update on Windows installed at a time when it is convenient for you, it will not surprise you. If you postpone updates for weeks, it might uh, just decide to randomly restart. But sometimes I just turn on my computer and boot into Windows just as for the- As long as
2: you're sending all of your information to, to Microsoft, your life will be that much easier
0: just come here where it's safe
2: it's warm you'll like it here
0: i promise do we have photoshop there <laughs> we might you just have to come and see uh as, okay so and finally uh the reason the the waitress types wi-fi password into the device is to prevent it from being copied by device so, yeah i understand that that's that's uh perfectly fine i didn't really have a problem yeah, I with think that that was my comment uh Cause we had just recently gone to
3: a Mexican restaurant and uh, asked for the wifi and the guy just came and typed it in.
0: Cause I think they did that at, at the restaurant. I was talking about that too, because she, well, I don't, I don't think we did it first. I think it, we tried it and it didn't work. And then she said, well, can I try it? And then, well, yeah, anyway, but thanks. Thanks for the input bill. Um, it was, uh, we appreciate anybody's input. Uh, you want to take this next one, Moss? I think so. Brad, Ale- Brad Alexander writes, hey
3: guys, was listening to 393.5 and thought I would throw my two cents in. First, I loathe GNOME. The problem is that their attitude is, quote, we don't care what settings you want. We will set things and you will like it, end quote. Then people complain about KDE having too many settings. In my experience, KDE Plasma has sane defaults, so I'm fine with it. I also have 20 years of muscle memory doing things KDE. Before KDE, I was using Enlightenment. My needs were fairly basic. I go with Dark Theme and the Oxygen style. And you were right about Debian. I used to run SID when I ran it, and SID unstable was more stable than testing and more current than stable. As for naming conventions on my network, I have spent way too much time thinking about it. I use a Star Trek naming convention, and here's where the way too much thought part comes in. Physical hosts are named for starships. Intel machines are Starfleet. Arm boxes are Klingon ships. Spark boxes are Romulan. I don't have any anymore. VMs, containers, and BSD jails are all named for characters. What, he doesn't have any AMD machines? Most of my boxes are free BSD, and consequently I use ZFS pools on most of my physical machines. Since ZFS pools have names, the default is tank. I use the registry number of the ship for which the host is named, So, for instance, my desktop machine, Defiant, has two pools, which are named NX74205 and NCC1764, USS Defiant from Deep Space Nine and Original Series, respectively. And the VMs slash jails slash containers are, where possible, named for the job of the box. For instance, my old mail server was named Uhura, while its replacement is Palmer. So that's how things work in my network.
2: I don't want you to take this disparagingly, because, yes, I love it, too. But I thought I was a nerd.
0: Oh man, that's <laughs> awesome. It makes me feel like there's other people on earth like me. But I think when he when he said Intel machines, I think he meant x eighty six. There are basically two types of naming conventions.
3: Some people, like Bill's W Mint Ryzen, etc., name them like cattle. They are more informative than whimsical. The other side, like me, names hosts like pets. Anyway, feel free to talk amongst yourself. That should have been yourselves, but that's all right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Gee whiz, well,
2: thank, I'm sure thank you, people Brad. like we, we, <laughs> we appreciate that, and it does bring joy to our hearts to know that we're not the only nerdy people around.
1: Yeah, yeah I, no. I I I, really, I really like this. I have a friend who I have a friend who uses mythological uh, figures for her names. Another friend uses uh, uh, star constellations. It's really fun. Once once you have enough uh, stuff to actually name, I don't just name computers. I also name the uh, disks. Yeah, uh, most yeah. of mine are
3: named after Hindu deities. My traveling disks are like Garuda and. Uh, yeah, I, I see the, like that. Yeah, what's the
1: the one called that's behind you on the wall? Oh, that's yeah.
3: Ganesha, but that's not a computer. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah. I recently came across a band, uh, a metal band called. Uh, my sleeping my sleeping karma and they have uh, this uh, indian buddhist theme of music so anyway i wanted to say that uh, sometimes i yeah i i use uh, scientific names of of uh, organisms animals plants anything for devices i have this internal uh, external ssd enclosure and when i have this con uh, connected to something it sort of looks like as if there was a tick as if there was a tick that was sucking on a uh, someone's blood and it sort of looks like if a tick was hanging on off of someone's skin. So it's called uh Ixodes, which is the Latin term for uh, ticks.
0: I think in my case the naming convention for the devices on the network because he made reference to my WH Mint Ryzen. Uh, I, I do it that way for devices on the network because that way, because wait, there's five people in the house and there's at least two devices per person. And this way I can, I can say that it's this person's device. Uh, and in my case, I've got several devices running the same operating system so I can narrow it down instantly knowing which device and which operating system is causing a problem on the network. Yeah, but, but I love I love this Star Trek thing. I, I I've seen things like this before. I do have a comment about loathing Gnome, though. I'm not a Gnome user. I have been in the past. I don't loathe it um, because it's it's open source software. I, what you have to understand about Gnome is that there is Gnome is probably the only um, desktop environment and suite of software that has a measurable amount of commercial imperative associated with it meaning they have to take into account the commercial customers that they're making the software for
2: from a usability standpoint i will say that gnome has improved greatly yeah it has
0: and a lot of that's due to canonical going back to gnome as the default and things like that and so it has to it has to be Making it the commercial, op- the de facto commercial option for things like Red Hat and and uh, SUSE and and Ubuntu uh, adds the detail that it has to be there has to be as few layers of complexity in the user interface as possible, so that you're creating fewer attack surfaces.
1: The problem with no Uh, but not just Gnome itself. Uh, The thing about Gnome is that uh, its defaults are tailored for a specific uh, workflow that is intended with the system. And of course you can install Gnome tweaks and uh, give you the minimize, maximize buttons. But the way Gnome was intended to be used is that you rely on workspaces. So in theory, you don't have to minimize anything. Even when when I was on Gnome a few months ago, I just realized that I I don't really, even if even if I had to turn on the minimize, maximize buttons, at one point, I just stopped using them because I could just always open another workspace. And if you keep minimizing, maximizing things, it, it can get a bit confusing as to we have to rearrange uh, windows, you have to move them around. But if you just have a, a fixed set of windows in each workspace, you, just, you can just switch between them. It's so that... And when people use GNOME, they... Sort of expect it to work like uh, a traditional workflow with having with a regular uh, panel and uh, and a menu and stuff. And you can get that uh, you can get them to work like that via extensions. But uh, the reason why it feels janky is because it wasn't intended to be used like that. And if someone doesn't, uh, if someone tries the the intended number workflow and if they don't like it, that's okay. It it's not for everyone, but. Uh, well, I I switched. Uh, I personally switched from GNOME to using sway a few months ago. Not because I I got bored of GNOME or dislike it, but I just, just wanted to try something uh, different. And I realized it. I I prefer sway, but I still am very in, much interested in uh, what uh, where GNOME development goes. So basically, it GNOME. Well, no. I th- well, I wanted to say that GNOME gets uh, a lot more hate than it. It gets a lot more hate than it deserves, but it's also but not that. Sometimes when something gets uh, a lot of hate, it's it's usually a vocal minority of users, and uh, so because GNOME is so widely used, I, th- I think it's hard to get a good uh, picture of how many people either like or dislike it. Because when there are when you see various polls among Linux users, even on the in groups and forums where there are more power users, uh, asking what they use, the the number one and number uh, as as far as desktop environments go, the number one and number two uh, uh, results are always GNOME and KDE in various orders. So yeah, I still really think that GNOME should really uh, address the the problem of app indicators soon. But other than that, uh, there isn't really Money, there isn't much missing f- you know, for it to be usable in the way it was intended. So I, I've been and probably been going on, on this topic for too long. So I just wanted to say that, uh, yeah, basically GNOME is not a bad oper- desktop environment. It's just a uh, way different than most people are used to. And uh, in order to experience it, I think you should have an open mind and try to use it the way it was intended. Yeah, the last machine I had GNOME on, I, I
0: decided I was going to try to work with it without any extensions and see how I got on. And it it's painful at first, but then the first thing you notice is how much more responsive and performant the system is. Because the, the reality is the whole infrastructure of surrounding the, well, the framework for the... Uh, extensions. is kind of a bolted on thing or it's, it, it, you get this sense that it is. Yeah. And once you remove that, it just seems to run that much more smoothly than it did with the yeah. extensions.
1: You know what? I just realized that, uh, you know, that people complain about uh, app indicators not being there. So if you, if you close the discord or telegram window or any teams, or similar application, you have no visible indicator of it running in the background. But if you just, don't close or don't minimize it. I, I guess that, is, that falls in line with GNOME was intended to be used. So if you have this code running at all, you might as well just put it on a workspace that you're not using, and it will get out of your hair. And uh, Also, when you mentioned uh, no extensions, you know how in the extension manager, there's a master toggle at the top that turns on and off all extensions. As uh, Leo Chavez pointed out, uh, that doesn't just turn off the extensions, that turns off extension support in a way. And he said that uh, GNOME uh, performance actually improves uh, so if you have ex- if you have no extensions running but you have the master toggle turned on, it still decreases the performance a bit as opposed to if you have the master toggle turned off. Yeah. So after I learned that, I have a Surface tablet which with a pretty it's a quite old uh, fourth generation Intel CPU. So since then I just use I'm just using GNOME on it uh, without any extensions and the extension support turned off, so I can have uh, the best performance I can get out of it out of it uh, on GNOME and i will continue to use nomad because it's still the best thing uh, desktop for uh, primarily touchscreen
2: uh, based workflow.
0: Yep, i agree. Oh, we got another we got another uh letter here. You want to take this one, Joe?
2: No, not really, but i will. This is from Noman Nessio. I hope i got that last name right uh hi Mintcast. sorry for the typos definition ridiculous deserving or inspiring ridicule absurd preposterous or silly thank you definition, for definition preposterous what thank you for what what
0: for defining those two words for us
2: oh well it's right here definition preposterous no, I was contrary to nature reason or common sense absurd This sounds preposterous, absurd, but is it? So let's investigate. Embrace, expand, extinguish. How about applying this cancerous behavior to distros? Not just making them mere MS software, not just making them an app, a client for a serious OS, but making them ourselves and then intercepting them and extinguishing those pesky repos and shared libraries with our own MS store, GitHub, the biggest repo is intercepted. Now it's time for removal of shared libraries and fast and secure software based on shared libraries. Unteach kids, Windows is your computer. It's your PC, there's nothing else. Now there are no such things as distros repos. Come to us, our store website, GitHub. We package it for you. You don't need those repos. It works with the distros we recommend. This distros are compatible with Windows and all apps are developed for us and we get money if you want to publish here. Because you have to buy the key. The Windows warning and installation fail if you do not pay MS to sign your app. Now, MS earns money on every open source app via KDE. So in order to make Windows, I love this word, de facto standard, MS must break repos. All those nice self-contained apps. No more repos. No more pesky packaging. One pit stop. Microsoft Store, Caden Live, GIMP, LibreOffice. You see, we love open source. Every time uh, there's someone publish software, it has to be in our store, and everyone pays us heavy money for the keys. Otherwise, it's unauthorized, dangerous app. You do not want side loading, do you? Be secure. It's for your own good, and then it has to work only. When with chosen distros from now the clients, the MS apps, why do you ask for how to compile? It's already packaged for you and is only compatible with the chosen ones. Awesome. No more fragmentation. And since MS window is the de facto standard, then you only have to make it compatible with MS windows and our shop. Who cares about distros that are not sanctioned? Use blessed ones. No more fragmentations. You just have to code for one shop. That have the extension in the kernel to be MS Windows client. Which distros are those? The ones that forbid competition to MS products. caos promotes and has XFAT, but has no F2FS. F2FS is the best for flash storage, but since it directly competes with MS, it has to be canceled. Fake reason. Limited rip it. Freedom. No. MS, yes, and XFAT is not free. And then two, Manjaro. I tested this month some KDE ISO. They have like a lot of them, including the one in MS GitHub with wrongly split zip doable to join them. But And then a word I can't say. So they have this proprietary stuff that they, by default, saves to MS format by default, but not LibreOffice. What the heck? Ubuntu Snaps, proprietary format for Freedom GPL 2, three apps. What the heck? And now, mere client, Wayland Implementation 4 separate Windows server that do different things as Snaps. OMG, Shmubuntu. By the way, is Shmubuntu an MS Store app? If you know more, let us know. What the heck is going on? P.S. Repository application software miniature in speakers electronic tablets verified self-compiled libre software store app apps pods pads buds side loading. Okay, uh, can I go first? Uh, that that was a little bit disjointed, and I really tried to read it. You know, You
0: did a good job, Joe. I couldn't have done that. I was thinking, I was listening to this. I was thinking, ah, maybe I should have given this one to Moss. That way he could have his, no, his, Joe, his, yeah, yeah. his audibly disdainful. <laughs> uh, first I off, X is of free. Yeah. <laughs> um, X Fat is free. Do your, you got Google. Um, oh boy. Um, so it sounds to me like uh, you're, this problem.
2: was a dissertation on the Microsoft idea of, you know, what is it? Um, he got it Embrace, expand, extinguish.
3: It's embrace,
0: extend, extinguish. Yeah. He said expand is extend.
2: Right. Yeah, Right.
0: Well, he did say sorry for the typos ahead of time. Um, it sounds like, well, what he's got a problem with here is the Microsoft store and funneling people in and making... It sounded like he believes that... He also
2: that, has an issue with... Um, and Microsoft buying GitHub and people continuing to use GitHub. And he's not the only one.
1: Yeah. No. I'm not but saying I think he's
2: wrong. But... Has
1: Microsoft owning GitHub had negative effect on projects that are hosted on GitHub?
3: Absolutely yes. not. Yes, it has. Like well, uh, Russian software developers have been totally cut off, regardless of whether they are in Russia or not. Um
1: Yes, but that is that has to do more with politics and less with the uh, the expand embracing stand extinguisher uh, model that he's describing. They haven't been cut off at GitLab, then go use GitLab. I don't know. Um, what I'm saying is that has less uh, that with controlling the software market.
0: Yeah, because what it sounds like what he believes here is by putting like by putting LibreOffice in the Microsoft Store you're stopping people from going and getting it from the website, and that's just not true. I mean, that you don't want sideloading. I I don't
3: well, recall. It, it
0: would be true if Microsoft
1: had
3: their way, which is what I think his point is.
1: But if you're getting well, LibreOffice from the Microsoft Store, it's still more or less the same application that you would get from the website. So the, what is I, the problem with uh, getting it from the Microsoft Store?
2: I'm pretty sure that if Microsoft could make linux disappear today they would
0: i'm not sure i believe that either because i think they need linux doing a lot of the heavy lifting because you know they're using it for azure that you know there's on the server side linux has been covering the heavy lifting for so many years
2: now and if they could change the licensing on linux so that they owned it they would but then they would have to pay people for the development Ah. and
0: right now you you know much of the internet, much of the infrastructure is leaning against, and this is a point of contention out there that many of these Just projects hire them as Microsoft employees. Then you got to pay them. Then you have to provide benefits to them. And then and then once they they're gone, nobody is going to pick up the project and keep it going, such the way open source works now. You know, and much of the world's oh, that, internet infrastructure happening. depends on that.
2: Yeah that has happened with open source but it's also happened with closed source too. I mean there's a lot of Windows applications that no longer have developers.
3: There's a and lot I, of Google
0: apps that no longer exist. <laughs> yeah, there's that too. I I think I think the the Microsoft we have now though and this is my opinion um is is not interested in extinguishing open source or Linux. First off it <laughs> it's not worth the effort when we really only constitute people like us that only use linux what i mean do we even m- make up 1% because
2: yeah it's a, it's about <laughs> 1%, 1% 2%
0: you know because you you've got i would imagine you've got a vast number of people that are using linux at work or they're using it for a specific purpose, and then all of their consumer devices are running something Windows, iOS, A lot of people that
2: don't know that they use Linux, because it's in the back end of whatever server they're using. Exactly.
0: So, you know, that being said, you know, any effort Microsoft would make to make Linux go away, I think, would be a waste of their resources. Um, F2FS being the best for flash storage, I don't know that it is. I mean, the thing about Xfat is it works, in no matter what device you plug it into, and it's in the kernel now. If you've got a recent, you know, a recent kernel, it's it's a module right there in tree. Um, and yeah, like I said before, uh, Xfat is definitely free. Um, Manjaro, yeah. Some of this I'm not sure what, how to respond. The snaps, you know, you know, it, the thing people are kind of getting a little uncomfortable with is this move towards containerization Um, and some people interpret that as lazy development because we're no longer relying as much on shared libraries because now a developer if he wants to base his software on a library that he doesn't want removed from the tool chain all he's got to do is incorporate incorporate that into the container and then you don't have to worry about that well that's that's part of the reason windows has worked for so long is because their kernel relies heavily on backwards compatibility you, you, you know you can you can go for the most part you can get a windows 3.1 app or a windows 5, uh, 95 app and install it on windows 11 and it will work you try that with linux and well, not, you'll get it, nothing no,
1: it's not really it's not really uh, likely that you install something that was intended for Windows uh, 98 to, to run on Windows 10 11 because the library You've got is... got a compatibility
0: changed. mode that that works. I, I, I mean, yeah. I've, got, I've got a couple of games that I've been installing ever since uh, Windows ME, and they worked with every iteration. <laughs> but you try... I mean, you go back like a year. You try to install something based on Python 2 on a modern machine, and it's just not going to work, you know? And that that's... Uh, part of the reason things like snaps and flat pack uh was designed for to begin with is that way if if you absolutely have to rely on an older tool yeah. chain then I just uh, check
1: my system doesn't even have python 2 right
0: they don't they it's been deprecated nearly completely but you have you have apps out there like that that solitaire game that uh yeah i remember Moss when likes.
2: python 2 was you know declared obsolete and everything had to use Python 3 for security reasons and spending a couple of weeks converting code, so
0: yeah. And you've just got stuff out there that's just never gonna get converted. So if you want those things, they're gonna have to be containerized.
1: But containerized apps can still use the same library. For example, if you have Flatpaks installed and you have uh, the download uh, the runtimes, there, there are shared runtime reserves. For example, if we have multiple GTK apps, it, it, they can oh. just use the same uh, copy of uh, the GTK libraries. Yeah. So right I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how, what ex- to what extent uh, this uh, works on snaps, but on flat this is, this has gotten a lot better. So counter it also, it, Depends on what the method of quantization is. So snaps are these uh, compressed image files that have to be mounted with uh, virtual file systems and have to be loaded to RAM. But packs are just files on your on your disk, as like if, if they have regular programs only that they they are not using the system libraries; they are using their own runtimes. So in that sense, uh, yeah. So from well, my point of view, my main complaint about snaps is that uh, on a desktop use uh, where you have probably less RAM than a server would. Uh, having to deal with uh, snaps being loaded into RAM and mounted, it's it's sort of, Another I thing it makes, that are... it, it makes them more secure, but uh, maybe uh, what the Flatpak does is, is plenty enough. It is. Or, and yes.
0: what occurred to me is that um, when you do it the snap way, that is, a, well, it is a device mounted. It shows up in LSBLK. Why is that important? Well, when you install Flatpak, it gets installed to your home directory. Not just fine.
1: You, if you specify it for the user, but by default, Flatpak installs stuff on the system.
0: You don't use a sudo command to, unless it just calls sudo. I've noticed that the it's got a var directory right there in your home directory.
1: If you don't, uh, 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 If you don't uh, add the dash-user option, it will uh, be a system-wide. So if you just uh, do the Flatpak remote add FlatHub and you don't add the the, dash-user, dash dash it will be a system-wide thing. And if you install anything like that, it will be available for all users. But if you add the dash-user dash for comments, it will be in your home directory. It seemed to me like when I was
0: thinking about that, it seemed like the the way Snap does it it was more of a system-wide uh solution, which would make more sense for a distribution like Ubuntu that was by by its own proclamation a a uh, commercial offering you know so you would need yeah. something that would be usable by multi users and things
1: so anyway if uh one more thing is- but uh, as well for snaps only the back end of the snap store is proprietary cross source yeah, not the and snap format. Not the snap format as far as I can as far as I know
3: okay that is changing uh the there is a new snap store coming out that is not backend proprietary and it will be implemented I think in twenty two ten
1: yeah I saw is it replacing hoping. the current one or is it so is it done by canonical yes, is it flutter based I oh. don't know. <laughs> All right. So,
0: yeah, again, thank you for all the keep the keep the comeback or keep the feedback coming, folks. We this is more than we've had in a long time. In fact, it felt a little awkward (laughs) because we hadn't done it in such a long time. Uh, Moving on to check this out.
2: Okay. Um, in the check this out, this section, the first two are, are mine. And the first one is the audio bookshelf. Um, it's the GitHub page for it. I had talked about that in my biweekly wanderings. Um, I do recommend checking it out if you have a lot of audio books or if you need a desktop podcast server. The link is there. Give it a try. Uh, the next one is a YouTube video link to Linus Tech Tips, where he tries to um, solder an HDMI port, a replacement micro HDMI port, and he even mentions how terrible the um, micro HDMI ports are, and they are horrible. And um, he he kind of fails miserably to replace it, but it definitely shows you how not to do one. And then it does show some tips and tricks on things to make it a little bit easier. So definitely something that I enjoyed watching.
0: Uh, I went ahead, well, for some time now, I've had this little script that, uh, and it's basically just an update script for Arch Linux. And I've had it on GitHub, basically just saved as a uh, config file but I've iterated on it for some time. Um, It it uses Pac-Man, yay, Reflector, Pac-Man, Contrib, and Flatpak to do a comprehensive update of any Arch Linux system. I thought I'd share the GitHub page here and I linked to it in in this article. Um, As always, be sure to check the Arch Linux homepage and understand the updates you're making before committing to them, for there's always a chance an update will break your system. Uh, as we well know, just from the last couple of weeks, I've been using this script I named full up for some many years and have iterated on it slightly here and there. Um, but I wanted to share it with folks. Uh, if it takes on a life of its own, I might like make a proper GitHub page for it as a project, you know, um, as for right now, like I said, it's just a text file. Uh, one goal I have for it is to turn a couple of the commands, because basically it's just a list of commands, and then it it uh, echoes a couple of things just to make it look fancy as it runs. Um, I'd like to replace a couple of the commands with functions that check to make sure, for example, the the command it runs to start the update is a yay, um, tack, s, y, u, Tac tac uh, no confirm and that's fine if you've got yay installed but if you don't the the script will just stop dead right there um, what I'd like to replace that with is a function that checks to see if yay is installed and then if it if it is then run the command and if it's not then do the little w git magic to download it and make package tac isc Install it and then run the command. And then, likewise, with uh, there's a couple of commands at the end where it does some package cache cleanup that used to be part of pacman. And recently, I think like a couple years ago, they took that out of pacman and put it into a package called pacman contrib, uh, which gives you the ability to clean the package cache. And likewise, you know, check and see if it's got the package. If not, do the necessary magic to install it. But I Haven't taken the time to learn how to do that yet, but uh, I thought maybe if I shared it with the rest of the world, somebody might have some input on how to get that to work. So the link is right there in the show notes. I am sensing DNF5 is in your future for Arch Linux. I think Yay is going away all over. Well, the Yay is just one option for integrating the AUR into Pac Man or, well, having a one stop method of just installing aur packages um without having to physically download them and then make he he, them.
2: he won't he won't convert his script to dnf if yay goes away what he'll do is he'll automatically alias all the uh yay commands to dnf commands well
0: you didn't even got to I mean, do that just change I mean, uh, it to
2: by dnf it's fedora
0: that's a fedora that's that's an rpm package
1: uh, manager uh, Paru is a, an alternative. It was a fork of EA. The is
0: not Fedora
3: only. It it covers. I know it's. Uh, it is very well useful in uh, Open Mandriva, and uh, RPM. Anything running RPM,
1: but I think yeah. it'll go March too. Uh, DT made a video a few months ago about uh, uh, he recommending uh, people from switching uh, from eight to Paru because Paru is more uh, actively maintained and it's. Uh, the comments are basically the same, only you don't type A you type Arubi and because it was a fork of Yay.
0: I tend to do whatever Manjaro's doing because they're the ones that are putting the most thought and effort into the Arch Linux. I was surprised when because Yay uh but Manjaro replaced. is
1: Manjaro using Yay in any way? Yeah,
0: it's in the back end. Well, it was in the back end of their uh Pamic uh, program isn't, that isn't, they use. Isn't
1: Pemec just its own thing? It, it, it's got package it and uh, and yay for the... But doesn't Pemec uh, uh, itself work as a, an AUR helper as well?
0: I think to this day, I think I tried to install it the other day and it still pulls yay as a necessary dependency in order to have access to the AUR. Now, if you install it without yay, then you can only... Update packages in the default repositories, because then it's just using Pac-Man on pac on the back end That's the way I understood it by looking at package browser because you can install you can install Pammic on a vanilla arch system, but it it it's a huge thing it it's updated quite a lot and it takes a long time to compile it so usually i if I install it at all, it's just so that I can do a lot of batch installing and then I get rid of it. So anyway, it's out there. If folks want to take a look at it, go right ahead. Um, Moving on to housekeeping and announcements. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mintcast. If you see something you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at MintCast at MintCast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the MintCast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at HTTP, that should be HTTPS, uh, MintCast.org. Our next episode will be 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on October 2nd, 2022. Next live stream will be 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on October 8th. 2022 get the live stream converted to your time zone with the link in the show notes live stream information is at mintcast.org slash on to wrap up joe how can we find you out there
2: well if you like the sounds of my voice you can catch me on a couple of my other shows i'm on linux link tech show which you can find at tllts.org or you can catch me on linux lugcast which is linuxlugcast.com um, you can send me an email directly, jb at mccast.org, or you can hit up my Ko site, link in the show notes, and buy me a coffee. Moss?
3: Well, I'm on every week on Full Circle Weekly News, uh, every month or so on Distro Hoppers Digest. My email is bardmoss at pm.me, and my other information can be found at itsmoss.com.
0: Bill? Uh, you can email me at Bill at Mintcast.org. I'm Bill underscore H on Discord, at WC WCHauser3 on Twitter, and WC Hauser 3 on Facebook as well. Also, check out my other podcast. Uh, the website is 3ftpodcast.org. The name of that podcast is Three Fat Truckers, where we live. Well, it appears on YouTube and downloadable on the opposite weekends of uh, Mintcast. Norbert, how about you?
1: You can send me an email at norbert at mintcast.org. And Nishant wasn't with here us today. And Nishant and Nishant wasn't uh, here with us today, but you can send him an email at Nishant at Mintcast.org. He's Reconghost on Instagram, Reconghost at GitHub, Ghost.recon on Discord, and Maverick00783 on Steam.
0: Before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make mintcast possible. Uh, Norbert, Londoner, Tony H., and all others for our audio edi- editing. Josh Lowe and myself for all the work on the website. Hopstar for our local logo. InitRD for the anim- animated Discord logo. Londoner for our time syncs. Myself for hosting the Linode, which runs our website. Archive.org for hosting our audio files the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about each fortnight. Thanks, Thanks, Clem. 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 Thanks Clem.
2: This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music and thanks for listening to this episode of